Welcome back to the PK Podcast, where that PK stands for Preacher's Kid, not Perfect Kid. And this week we were thinking about keys, because in the top drawer of every pastor's desk is this assortment of keys in all shapes and sizes from so many generations. I think there was a skeleton key on there, and no one even knows what they go to. Now, sure, there's only one key that opens the shed in the back, only one key that opens all the exterior doors, but we got to keep all 347 of those keys just in case. I don't know, in case we happen to discover a local treasure map, then they all of a sudden come in handy for? Who knows? By the looks of it, your dad's got a key to everything, and he knows it too. That's why he's been preaching, you know, three keys to serving God or the key to a godly life. He's got all kind of keys. I just wish he'd lend one to Sister Bertha, who sings the Sunday night special and can't seem to find her own. Hey, could I give you a suggestion for those keys? Purchase a whole mess of those plastic key tags where you can write, if found, please mail to this address, and put the address of the deacon who causes your family so much trouble, and who knows, maybe that'll be the key to him finding a new church. (laughs) Hey, today we're joined by Barnabas Piper for part one of a two-episode series, and We'll be talking about the pastor, parent, and kid dynamic in the PK household. And today we're going to tackle the kid's perspective, and next week we're going to talk about parenting your PK. It's some really great stuff that you're going to want to lean into. So, let's go. Welcome back to the PK podcast, where that PK stands for Preacher's Kid, Not Perfect Kid. And we have an incredible PK with us today, and I'm sure that you've read his dad's commentaries and sermons from Scripture. You've seen his videos. He's spoken at Passion Conference, but his son is an incredibly accomplished PK and preacher himself who's worked with Lifeway and pastors a incredible church is on the pastoral team in Nashville and literally wrote the book on the life of a PK and I want you to swipe up in the show notes of this episode and click the link where you can grab a copy of this book because it is perspective shifting and will be life changing for so many but Barnabas Piper we're so glad to have you on the show today how are you doing I'm doing great John thanks for having me on it's uh, it's good to see you again been a while yeah it's good to see you thank you for introducing me to the frothy monkey coffee shop in nashville uh you were the first person to take me there and my life has never been the same since then well that's uh i mean if if i've accomplished one thing in life and it's that i feel really good about myself come on goals set high (laughs) so we want to talk about how to love our pk well And really, over the course of the next two episodes, the life of a PK involves hopefully having a good relationship with your parents. And sometimes there are pastor parents, in many cases, there are pastor parents who are raising PKs, but they were never a PK themselves. That's true for Eli's parents. They were never preacher's Mm -hmm. kids. So raising a PK involves really some different perspectives on things. And so I want to dive right in and just ask about the unwritten job description of a PK. If I'm raising a kid and I'm expecting my first one. So if I'm raising a a PK, what does the role of a PK actually look like in the life of the church? 
Now, just to clarify, is this the is this what the PK often feels that it is, or is this what it ought to be? Because they feel like they're two very distinctly different things. I think it's important to know both of those okay. because yeah. we need to know what our kid is is thinking and feeling so that we can mm -hmm. correct it if it's wrong. For yeah. sure. So yeah, we'll go with the yeah kind of the the felt job description that often is the case. Certainly was for me growing up. Um, and and I'll clarify a lot of this comes from the church at large, not, not necessarily from the parents. My parents were pretty good about not putting undue expectation on me, but, uh, but I still felt kind of the, the burden to live up to what, what I'll try to give you as a job description. So the ones, the things that come to mind are there's a, there's an expectation of behaving a certain way. So the phrase, you can't do that. You're a pastor's kid sums up this really well. There's sort of the idea that a pastor's kid must be better behaved than all of his or her peers, despite the fact that we are exactly like all of our peers in terms of maturity level and general, you know, desire to get into trouble. And maybe that was just me. Can't speak for everybody. I, you know, I was just a little rabble rouser, just like all my friends, except that I always got called out of Sunday school. I always got caught. So there's this, this expectation of behaving a certain way. Um, there's an expectation of, of biblical knowledge, you know, and this, this looks a lot like you're sitting in a Sunday school class or a youth group, small group or whatever it is. And the leader or the teacher poses a question and there's just sort of that like dull, awkward silence. And after a little while, just sort of every head turns and looks at the pastor's kid because they're like, well, you've got this one. You're the pastor's mm -hmm. kid, like, you know this, right? And, uh, and that's a, that's a double-edged sword because for me, I usually did. I usually did know the answer because I really liked knowing all the right answers. Um, but I, but I felt the pressure of that. And then I felt the pride of that. So it was kind of a living up to an expectation and becoming prideful about it. Um, there's an expectation of leadership a lot of times put on pastors, kids, especially as they get older, you know, they get into the, the middle school and the teen years. They're the ones who get called out to serve, to meet the new people, to, whatever they're kind of whether it's upfront leadership or asked to help they're just sort of roped in all the time um and not every pastor's kid has leadership qualities like there there are some some quieter more introverted types who are not upfront leaders that kind of thing and, or again there's the temptation for pride that that was more my weakness i thrived on that stuff but i also became kind of wrapped up in it identity wise um I think there's an ex there's just an expectation that life is like you don't have struggles in your life. And I don't know that anybody would articulate it that way, but you see it in the sense of shock when they find out that, oh, you struggle with lust or, oh, you have questions about your faith or, oh, you have sinned in X in such a way. There's just there's not the freedom and the safety to sort of sin and sin and repent and, and be restored the same way that you would hope there is for everybody. So there's an expectation that you've got all your stuff together. Um, and, and part of that is the expectation of everything is good in your family. You know, you never fight with your mom and dad. Everything is peaceful in your home. And, you know, so these each of those, I'd say, are part of that sort of false PK job description. Behave a certain way, live up to a certain standard, lead a certain way, believe a certain way, have no doubts or questions, no struggles. And it's, so it's, which is of course, abject nonsense across the board. Um, the real job description for a PK really ought to be the same as for any 
growing believer. It's just, it's a job description of discipleship in terms of, I mentioned repentance. I meant, you know, humility, um, finding those gifts that God has given you to serve in the church and then using those. So if it's a quiet behind the scenes thing, that's beautiful. If it's an upfront thing, that's beautiful. If it's with kids, if it's, you know, kind of a hands-on thing, whatever it is there, you know, serve, but not, not called into a specific kind of thing. Um, and, and then, yeah, just growing in a relationship with Christ, which I really struggled with as a kid. I think I just, my relationship with the church, my relationship with expectations was a lot clearer than my relationship with Christ was up until really in my twenties. Yeah, that's good. I think, um, I think so oftentimes that, um, some of the struggles for pastor's kids, um, maybe you get overlooked or maybe like kind of undervalued just because they think we're, you know, perfect or held to our own standard, whether it is that way or not. And so like for me, I know for me, one of my struggles was that kind of pursuit of having to be perfect in everything that I did. Um, and I don't know if there was ever any maybe struggles like that that you've had to go through or that you see as a common thread amongst other pastor's kids, um, specifically when it comes to maybe some of those unseen, unknown kind of struggles like that. Yeah, the I think those struggles are, are really difficult because there's no right answers. So you mentioned the struggle right. of feeling the need to kind of be perfect. Well, that's impossible, right? But you can't exactly. rebel against it either because that's the wrong answer. So if being perfect <laughs> is the wrong answer and rebelling against being perfect is the wrong answer, you're kind of left with just this like, well, what do I do? I right. think, I think the probably the most pervasive hidden struggle of pastors' kids is the is the the ability to hide things behind a veneer. Mm. You know, we we learn how to put on the proper face. You know, when you spend your life moving from spiritual context to spiritual context and being around, you got the old ladies who are doing like their Tuesday morning craft thing, and you got the moms group, and you got Sunday school classes, you got Sundays, and you got Wednesdays. You just know how to put on the right face when you walk in, which means it's really hard for anybody to truly get to know what's what's going on in the soul and the life of this kid. And it's really hard to know ourselves because we end up fooling ourselves where the veneer becomes how we see ourselves rather than recognizing or being willing to address. I, I am a person with a lot of questions. I'm a person who's very insecure or really not totally sure what I believe or really struggles with, with X. And so there's a, there becomes easily, I think, a chasm between what people see, what we project and what's really going on in our souls. And, uh, and that's a hard thing to get through. It's a hard thing to get through for parents. It's a hard thing to get through for friends. It's even a hard thing to get through for ourselves to kind of even acknowledge that, that we have that, this kind of faux front and then a kind of a hidden reality. Right. I want to give parents the benefit of the doubt and say mm -hmm. that I don't think that most pastor parents, I know there are some, but I don't think that most pastor parents put these expectations on their kids. I'm not sure that many of the PK struggles come as a direct result of something their parents said or did. So where do they come from? I'm yeah. imagining that most PKs are struggling with things personal yeah. or spiritual that their parents have no idea about. Right. And they don't even know where, where it all came from. Where does it come That's from? That's true. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Yeah, my my experience personally was very much what you just said that it, the pressures I felt were not like they weren't put on me by my parents. On occasion, I have heard those stories. You know, the kind of thing where like the the terrible you know minivan pulls up outside the church and mom turns around and like wags her finger at the kids and she's like, "Now you will behave yourselves because you represent this family and this church kind mm-hmm. of thing." And so that happens. Yep. But I don't think it's the norm. I think the norm is that these pressures come in a more generalized sense. Um, and the thing is, they don't even come from from um, like mean hearted people. People are not trying to make pastors kids feel under the gun, um, but they, they do it by accident. I would say that the places that the pressures come from are just the reality of being seen. In a church context, the pastor's kids, the pastor's family, so this would apply to the, the pastor's spouse as well, are just very visible. And when you are visible, you know it, which means that you feel like you have to live, you have to live in a way that is appropriate to whatever they see. You know, you have to kind of give them what they're looking for. Um, a sense of like, if I get out of line, everyone will notice. And that stuff stacks up because people will, you know, every time that a that a child is used in a sermon example. Well, the mm-hmm. congregation just learned something about them that the child didn't tell them, which means that when they walk out and some random person is like, you know, they address that illustration. Oh, you crashed your bike. Oh, you caught a fish, whatever. Like, they're like, who are you? And why do you know something about my life? So there's this, right. there's that aspect. Um, you know, there's just the Social media doesn't help this, you know, I'm not going to get into that too deeply because it wasn't really a reality when I was a kid, but just, you know, as pastors display their families on social media, that should be done judiciously. You know, what are you saying about your family? Because other people in the church will ask them about that. Um, And then I think, but I think, you know, those, those pressures also just come from kids recognizing that what their parents do is a spiritual thing, but they don't understand the spiritual thing. And so there's this sense of like, well, Jesus is God or Jesus is dad's boss. So like, I can't, if I get out of line, is Jesus going to fire dad kind of thing? And as I got older, I realized like my actions had consequences for my parents. They, they caught heat if I got out of line or if one of my siblings got out of line. And so there's this pressure of like, well, I got to protect them. Um, which and it, and it really confuses the relationship with Christ when when that becomes the reality. So there's there's that kind of vague spiritual pressure. There's the pressure of being seen, and then sometimes it's just overt. People say you should be like this, you know. The perpetual question of oh, are you going to grow up and be a preacher? Uh, that I got like mm-hmm. I had to decide at like six, do I want to be a pastor or not? And for you know thirty years, the answer was no. And then all of a sudden, God was like, actually, the answer is yes. But uh, it, yeah, which was a surprise to me and a lot of people who knew me. But um, but those kinds of things are pressure, too, because it, it creates almost an antagonistic relationship with the church sometimes where you're like, I have to decide how much I love this thing. I can't just exist safely in it. So many things were ringing bells for me. That was incredible. And one of the things that I've loved lately are a few more public PKs sharing stories about their growing up. Um, when I was growing up, I the only PK I was aware of in a public setting was this comedian, Shonda Pierce. 
And so I would listen to these Shonda Pierce cassette tapes to her telling stories about PK life. And that was how I was finding camaraderie with someone, you know, with, with the exception of meeting other PKs at camp or something like that. And uh, Brian Edwards at the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast is kind of a spiritual dad for me. And yeah. he shared a story about his dad, um, you know, loving him through some things in a previous episode. Um, a famous pastor, Andy Stanley, shared a story in a sermon not too long ago about, um, you know, skipping church with his, you know, hellion friend, Louis Giglio. And, you know, <laughs> the, the secretary or Sunday school teacher you know, wagging her finger in his dad's face. And his dad looked back at her and said, how about I raise my kids and you raise yours? You know, in both situations, we hear about these parents who were like parent first, like yeah. superstar parent first and pastor second. But I know I'm getting ready to have kids. Eli's going to have kids. PKs and parents of PKs listening to this podcast are trying to figure out this balance and I'm not sure that it's ever perfect. Maybe it just goes back and forth of how to parent and pastor my kids yeah. both. What does that tension look like? If one has to fall, which one's the more important one? These are the questions I have for my kids. See, I don't, I don't think that's a hard question to answer. I think any pastor who thinks that pastoring comes before parenting has might is borderline disqualified for the ministry. Yes. Um, that that doesn't mean that they're like that you skip every church function to go to every little league game or whatever like th this isn't a calendar thing this is a matter of yeah when it comes to the well-being of especially the spiritual well-being of your children it comes first and um i do think that there's a positive trend in awareness of this amongst like the the generation of pastors who are coming up I think there was, you know, the baby boomer generation, the, the kind of the builder generation, those like my grandparents and parents generations, that was not the norm. The norm was the, the family is sort of the accessory to ministry, like wife is the support, kids are ornaments, um, and, and the ministry is first. So preaching is first, board of trustees, deacons meetings, whatever it is, um, and and I think that's just wrong. I think it's, it's harmful. And I, so I think the best thing a pastor can do for his church is to invest deeply in his family as a dad. I don't ever want my kids to look at me and go, he's, he's my, he's a pastor. Like their pastor's not, I have two daughters, my, my, you know, their pastor's not going to walk them down the aisle someday to get married. He's not, the pastor's not going to be the one sitting there when they throw their graduation cap up in the air or when they grieve yes. an ended relationship or whatever, like that's their dad. I get to do those things. Um, and the pastoring thing is it should maybe inform how I do that because what is pastoring really, but a call to serve the Lord in a, in a unique way. And I can bring some of that reality in there, but I don't, uh, if the church encroaches or infringes upon my ability to be a good dad, I'll step away from the role in the church. And I think other pastors ought to as well. Um, now, again, this doesn't mean that there are going to be weeks where you have to weigh heavily. Okay. It's a, it's a big, you know, we've got big decisions to make or heavy things happening or whatever. 
that's not, that doesn't hurt your kids because every job has that. Hmm. But when they, when you've created a situation where the church is an antagonistic competitor for dad's attention, you have done a disservice to the church and your family. That's, that's the break point. Do your kids look at the church and go, Oh, it's taking dad away again. Hmm. Oh, it's subtracting dad from my life as hmm. opposed to, Oh, we are part of this body of believers that we love. I want my kids to love being part of a church. And part of the way I do that is how I serve them and how I serve the church. If it ever becomes antagonistic because of what I do, there's been a, a great misstep along the way. How did your yep. dad handle, um, because you care about your, your biological children's spiritual development more mm-hmm. than you care about anybody else's. How did your dad handle having spiritual conversations and discipling you without being pastor John, um, to his kids? I'm Eli's got a really great story. My story is more in the fundamentalist side where, um, my family was still pastor groves, even when they were at home and were to be treated and spoken to as such. I didn't see the healthy side of that. Eli saw the healthier side of that. I'm curious for the parents listening, how how do you spiritually develop your kids by being parent without being pastor, whoever, whenever you're at home? Um, and I've had some really lengthy and meaningful conversations with my dad about this. Cause I think there are things from my childhood that he wishes he had done differently. Um, I, you know, so I have three older brothers and a younger sister, and uh, I would venture to say he got better as a, both my parents continued to get better as parents, as the kids came along. Um, so my little sister is 12 years younger than me and has adopted and watching my parents raise her was different than how they raised me. And not like in the, she's a spoiled youngest kid, but like they had learned, they had learned how to invest and interact and, and parent differently. And in a lot of ways better, which I think is, that's a lesson to be learned. When I look at my parents, one of my big things that I want to imitate is keep learning when you get old. Like my dad is, my parents are in their mid seventies now and they haven't tapped out. Like they're still they're still learning. They're still growing. They're still pursuing. They're still parenting. It just looks different because we're all independent adults now. Um, my, my, what my parents did that was both a, both a plus and a minus was they emphasized the word of God constantly. It was a plus because there's just no downside to being put, <laughs> to being put in the context of scripture perpetually. It just, it, it, it's, it never comes at a spiritual cost in and of itself. The downside was that they didn't do it very casually. It wasn't, it didn't feel conversational. It felt, you know, family worship, family devotions, a bit like a lesson. And, and so I struggled to recognize for a long time what my parents' personal spiritual lives looked like. Hmm. What is there in, you know, it, does that make sense? So it, it felt, it yeah. didn't feel, it felt like almost programmatic in that way. And so I think that I swung the pendulum a little too far the other way where I kind of backed off family devotions and backed off family worship with my kids, probably too much. And now I'm kind of trying to correct it where I go, okay, we need to do these things, but do them in a way that's, I don't want scripture to be drudgery to them. 
that's where my, that's where things were a struggle for me growing up is that scripture became an obstacle or drudgery, not the living word of God, not this kind of beautiful opportunity. Some of that was my spiritual immaturity. Some of that was how my parents did it. I'm not blaming them for anything. There's, you know, they did their absolute best. Um, and so with my kids, I'm trying to do my best and figure out what's that balance. Um, and a second thing that I learned from my parents and then have tried to do in some ways the same and in some ways differently is to be a con like is to confess to my kids, apologize to my kids, repent to my kids for whatever, you know, I'm an impatient dad. So I, I speak out of turn. I lose my temper. I, you know, I have to go back to them and say, you were right. And I was wrong. You know, I screwed up and, and, uh, to try to create a context of grace. Um, I think that's a huge deal for, for pastors, kids realizing that it's okay to be sin isn't okay, but when you sin, it's, you have the freedom to come and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? And you can have confidence that the answer will be, of course, I forgive you. I love you. And that like that context. And so trying to create that environment by modeling it for my kids. And again, I'd probably give myself like a, I don't know, low C on the grading scale, but that's, that's my aspiration at least. I was, that's really good. I think for, for me, um, like he was saying, I, I did have a healthier perspective of it. It was, everything was so fun when we did family devotions and worship, it was done in a fun, tasteful way. It wasn't every day for an hour. It was, you know, this is just kind of what we do and it's for fun and church was always yeah. fun. That's where all of my relationships were. So for me, I, I liked going to church because I was like, yeah. oh, I get to hang out in the kids ministry or I get to hang out in the youth ministry. They got a basketball goal there, you know, like what's not to like about this. And so I think for me, um, put into a situation where it's where it's fun. And then one day being able to be a parent, I think it's going to be able to really help me understand the balance of, you know, helping them raise them in a very excellent home, you know, one that wants yeah. them to be excellent and obedient and, you know, all the things that you want your children to be, but also like, here's how we can also have fun on the journey as well. And I cannot be pastor Eli at home. I can just be, I can just be dad and I can just watch sports with them and I can go to the games and I can be their coach as well. And I can, you know, be at all their dance thing, you know, whatever that looks like. And so um, I think how it's modeled is a really, really big um, foundation for, for kids and how they grow up and then for the next generations behind them. Um, yeah. I, so like I for you, what, do you feel that way? I love what you just said. I think, you know, you said the word fun 15 times. And I think there are people, yeah. especially kind of the spiritually kind of the, the heavy handed spiritually minded people who will kind of look at that as trite I think in parenting and in the church, fun is synonymous with rejoicing and joy. You know, and the yeah. Bible says rejoice and the Bible says be joyful. Like the expression of that many times is fun. My kids are not joyful if they are not having fun. And so yeah. who who's responsible for their fun? A lot of times it's me, you know, I'm the one who gets to make the jokes and take them on the outings and, and make the time for them. And like, just clown around, like clowning around is fine. It's good. And so I think, I think that's one of those things that it's like, it should be a parenting priority. And, you know, there are parents who are all fun and no discipline, all fun and no teaching. And that's, you know, anything that's like, that's a, that's an all sugar diet, but a diet with no sugar is, is boring. So there's a, yes, it is. I a hundred percent agree with you that especially in a pastor's home, 
emphasizing laughter, emphasizing fun, emphasizing like, do we enjoy each other's company is a super big deal. And the kind of thing that, because what it does is even if the child is struggling to know how to think about God, they know how they feel when they are with somebody who talks about God and they feel like this is a great place to be. This person loves Jesus. This person talks about God. This person preaches and this person laughs with me and they listen to me and we throw a baseball or go fishing or watch movies or whatever it is. And, and those things are loud. They're real, real loud. Um, you know, my fondest memories of my dad have very little to do with scripture and a lot to do with fielding ground balls or deep sea fishing or hiking in the woods or whatever. Like those are the things that stand out to me, not, you know, let's look at first Corinthians 13 or something. Absolutely. Absolutely. We just, our church just celebrated 17 years of, of being a church this past Sunday, which is, I guess, 17 years ago, I became a pastor's kid. So like, I guess, happy birthday to me being a pastor's kid or whatever. But, um, <laughs> I hope it's but, happy. Yeah. Oh, but I think we were looking back like as a family, just at lunch afterwards, we we're just like kind of, you know, going through like the 17 years and like the highlights of it and like the, some of the things that were low, but the highlights were always like, they were never oh man, like, you know, this was the best sermon I ever, we ever did, or this was the greatest series we ever did. It was like, no, remember that time we had like a carnival outside and like how fun that was. And we had like, you know, petting zoo come out and stuff like that. Or it's like, can you believe that one Sunday where, you know, we had our first salvation that happened and like things like that. Those were like our, our things. So they're always, everything was always seen through a very positive lens. Now the flip side to that also is that everything was seen through a positive lens. So there was never any negatives. So now I'm working at a church and I'm seeing maybe some of the negatives that are, you know, that can that can abound. And so how do you, whenever you're, you know, with your kid, how do you stay transparent about things that are maybe happening, but also keep it at a very light, moderate, but also, like I said, you know, fun and joyful as well. Yeah. I, you know, that's, that's one thing that my parents modeled really well for me is that they, my dad and my mom never complained about church. Yep. They never complained about going. They never, like, they, they loved, they loved the church. They were also not opaque about hard things in the church. When I was 10 or 11, we had a staff member who had an affair as a longstanding thing and it was discovered and it just caused a rift in the church and it broke my dad's heart and very nearly split the church. And it was just, it was a brutal time. And I remember, you know, I'd be sleeping in bed and he'd come home from an elders meeting at like 2 a.m. You know, they'd been meeting for five or six hours. And this happened just months and months of this kind of thing by my recollection. And then he'd be there breakfast the next morning and I'll kind of ask him, you know, I was probably, like I said, I was probably 10 or 11. So I didn't really know what I was asking, but I was just like, so what's happening? How, you know, and he would tell me the age appropriate context. He would tell me what, what I needed to know about. Yeah. It's really heavy. I really care for them. It's hard. Sin, sin is ugly and it causes pain, but never an insult, never a disparagement, never gossip. And and it, it just set a standard for me of um, kids can handle more than you think they can. There's a way to talk to them about hard things that that actually prepares them. Like I, I have never been shocked by a situation in a church since I was a kid because my dad and my mom very faithfully talked to me about the hard things, you know, so-and-so left the church because 
they decided to go marry somebody who they weren't currently married to like and they just sort of they, they would tell me about this stuff in in ways and so I just the things that could cause somebody to be shocked about the behind the scenes ugliness or the sin in people's hearts just I had a preparation for and um but also their grace they were they prayed for these people they loved these people there wasn't a, a casting of judgment and um all of that has been has been really helpful in in helping me see how to talk to my kids now i've you know i've been on i've been on staff at emmanuel since 2019 so about a year and a half and then on the pastoral staff for just a few months got ordained at the tail end of 2020 and uh haven't had a lot of reason to talk to them about hard things but you know they had some friends who left the church because their family had some disagreements and talking through some of that and and you know so just kind of dealing with those things so that it's not all glossy but yep. neither is it negative and complaining and i just i credit my parents so much with the the uh the way that they did that to help me see how to how to handle that in, in with grace and honesty for sure. Yeah, I think actually what you said actually is probably more closely to, related to probably how it was. They, they would definitely fill a symbols on a child appropriate level yeah. or age appropriate level because I would maybe lose a friend or something. They'd be like, oh, well, this is what happened. And and da, da, da. and so, so like I said, I, I did kind of understand the context coming into it or so, but definitely it's always more from like an age appropriate thing. Then you see yeah. something like behind the scenes, you're like, oh, wow, like some of the stuff is a little is a little messier than, you know, just this person, you know, left because they didn't agree with this. There's also, you know, a laundry list of things. So I think you're so right on that. That's one of those things that's hard to deal with at at a pastoral level for, for any age, because everybody thinks they, they should know more. So a member in the church thinks they should know more. And the pastors have to make the decision on what to protect the church from. Like you just, you just sort of eat a lot of ugliness, you know, in terms of, secret sin or you know people who are being nasty via email or whatever like this stuff happens all the time and you just eat it because if you make it public to the church who wins you're disparaging reputations you're causing you're causing division you're 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 handing it to people who are not in a spiritual position to kind of know what to do with it so and it's it's very similar with kids there's a you know you have to make the the best prudent decision you can on how to communicate what that lifts up the church also speaks to the reality of pain and sin. Hey, thanks as always for listening to the PK podcast. And we want to remind you that we are proudly a part of the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast Network. And you can find us on Instagram at Those Preachers Kids, on Twitter at That PK Podcast. We're on Facebook, we're on YouTube, and wherever you listen to podcasts. So if you need to hit somebody up to vent, to cuss, to laugh or to cry, hey, you can find us anywhere that you look. We love you. You're our family. And don't forget to rate the podcast and leave a review. That helps us oh so much. We love you.